0: I spoke to Miss Garcia in her office, which, if you've never been, is a vibrant pink room covered with books and Disney memorabilia. I came assuming we'd mostly talk about COVID's effect on students, because despite the fact that most of us at Princeton High School think we know what the pandemic did, three years is a long time. And I, for one don't remember my 8th grade experience well enough to do a grand before-and-after comparison in order to track all of COVID's pernicious psychological side effects. For our entire interview, I was staring into the soulless eyes of a plushified rendition of the cartoon Miss Minutes from the Disney Plus show Loki, and I was prepared to talk with Miss Garcia about just how much time we have all lost since March of 2020. And yet, ultimately, my COVID-based framework for today's show fell apart. This, I think, is for two reasons. First of all, as you'll hear Miss Garcia point out, we aren't really living in a post-COVID world. We are all, literally or figuratively, suffering from a case of long COVID. And although I don't yearn for some halcyonic pre-2020 past, I remain certain that not only has something ineffable changed, but something ineffable is still changing. And secondly, neither of us really wanted to talk about the pandemic. In the throes of quarantine, I assumed we would be more consistently thankful for being able to truly return to school or work or our friends once it actually happened. But so-called normalcy, characteristically, tends to feel pretty normal. In fact, I've gotten to the point where I don't want to inspect the overpowering melancholy of mid-pandemic life and more I understand why we hear so much more about World War I than we do about the worldwide pandemic that struck us in 1919, despite the fact that the latter killed just as many people as the former. So while this episode begins with a discussion of the pandemic, it moves on to so much more. Please stick around and listen to Miss Garcia explain the connections between art, counseling, humanity, and more. Also, note that we recorded this episode in the middle of the counseling suite at PHS, So if you hear some chatter or some door slams, don't be surprised. I'm Alexander Margulis, and you're listening to episode three of PHS Talks. So first of all, how long have you been at PHS and what do you teach?
1: Um, So I have been at PHS, this is my fifth year, um, and I'm a school counselor here.
0: Exciting. Mm -hmm. So we're going to split today's show up into three main parts. I'll ask you some questions about the state of counseling right now at Mm -hmm. PHS, and then we'll zoom out and talk about being a counselor as a whole, and then we'll talk about how you approach your work every day and what specific things you do that make your job fun and make it helpful. Let's start by talking about the pandemic. There is an absolutely overwhelming amount of evidence that the pandemic was terrible for high schoolers' mental health. And I'm just wondering why as a counselor, you think that is, why was the pandemic so damaging for so many students?
1: I think one of the things that made the pandemic especially difficult for adolescents is the fact that it was very isolating. I actually, you know, even from my own personal perspective, I identify as a fairly significant introvert. So I felt like at least for the first couple weeks of going into the pandemic and remote learning, I was like, oh, you know, this isn't so bad. Um, You know, having time to yourself is always a good thing. But I do think that over the long period of time that we were in lockdown, I think it did have um, a lot of social effects on, you know, students, on adults. We're social creatures by nature. So, you know, the best way for us to learn from each other is an environment where we can talk to each other in person and kind of, you know, express things in person. So I think that the isolation factor was very difficult for students. I think that, you know, just kind of speaking from my own practice, I've had plenty of students, unfortunately, who have lost relatives to COVID or the after effects of COVID. So there's a lot of of trauma and loss with respect to that. You know, we, we talk about post pandemic, but we're very much still seeing effects from COVID. People are still catching it. People are still getting sick. Um, we're fortunate to have the vaccine, but I do think that the, the number one thing that I saw as far as its effect on mental health was the social element, not being able to talk to your peers, not being able to connect with family. Students I knew were not able to visit family members in their passing or their, their, their last moments because hospitals weren't allowing certain visitors. So there's a lot of pain in that. You would think that coming out of COVID oh, we're going back to normal, we're in-person learning, it's, you know, everything's great. But I actually am kind of seeing that there's almost like a delay in everybody's processing of that trauma. You know, I'm seeing more students now in this school year than perhaps even last school year coming out of the pandemic who are struggling with mental health challenges that they weren't before. And I think a lot of that is due to just kind of, the more you come out of something, the more you can actually think about, oh, wow, that was like really rough that I went through that.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering what those struggles look like at PHS? Because I wasn't here before the pandemic, but I was here after the pandemic. And I'm wondering if there's a noticeable difference in the student population at large before and after and how you think it affected the way we think about school and the way we think about ourselves.
1: I was here pre-pandemic for about a year and a half. So what I saw with students prior to the pandemic was Um, You know, there were still students who had social anxiety, who, you know, struggled to self-advocate when they needed help from teachers or they needed help from other adults in the building. But I did see more effort or comfort with trying. You know, I try to help my students to advocate for themselves. I'll meet with them and a teacher to to kind of bolster that support and be like the third person in the room. I found that students were a bit more comfortable kind of aiming towards that goal of self-advocacy and reaching out for what they needed. Um, I did see, after, after the pandemic, a bit of a re- withdrawal in that, um, students feeling a little bit more anxious socially and a little bit more hesitant to reach out for what they need. I actually found, too, because of the technology aspect, you're doing everything through Canvas, you're doing everything through you know, remote learning, Zoom, I actually found that the communication aspect of my, my position here has also changed between students, a lot more emailing. It used to be they would come by a bit more and just kind of say hello, but now I'm seeing that more conversations are initiated by email, so I try to respond to those emails and say, you know, that's a great question. Please come see me.
0: That's really interesting. Uh, I think counseling is a tricky thing to talk about because it's so easy to jump to buzzwords, words, um, but I think self-care is genuinely important, right? Do you want to talk about what self-care is and how it can maybe be hard to get in an environment like PHS?
1: Ah, okay. So... Self-care, I agree, is extremely important. Um, It's basically, what are some things that you do for yourself outside of your typical obligations to really check in with yourself, to make sure that you're doing things that you enjoy, having hobbies, because those are extremely good for mental health. Some students or some people do self-care through exercise. Some do it through writing, drawing, hobbies that they have, sewing, I have students who crochet. Some people just need to kind of like chill with their favorite TV show or their favorite book. I think that kind of just, doing things for you that have nothing to do with the obligations you have outside of that i think is really important
0: and do you think the environment of phs is conducive to self-care and if it's not in what ways is it not
1: definitely in in a very academically rigorous environment like princeton high school we have so many academic opportunities for our students which i think is um, really phenomenal but i do find at least in my scope of work that there are students who feel a good amount of pressure sometimes to overwork themselves with respect to academics, to take every AP available, to keep up kind of with the Joneses or keep up with their friends with respect to the courses that they're allowing themselves to take. And sometimes that is feasible for the student and it makes sense for their goals. And other times I can see how it does impact their mental health. I find a lot of students, because they have a lot of work that piles up, maybe they need more organizational skills, maybe they need to, they struggle with procrastinating, for example, and then they get further in a hole because they're stuck with a lot of work that they might have been able to, like, parse out a bit better.
0: Yeah, for me, the biggest thing I noticed when I got to high school was how short days actually felt, because there are so many hours in the day, you know, and maybe I'm saying this because I'm looking at a cartoon clock, but...
1: Oh, (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs)
0: miss minutes love miss minutes but yeah it definitely feels like something that's unique to this time in our life and that it's a time when kids are starting to deal with the pressures of time i think we can pivot here and look at kind of holistically what counselors do. So if you look at a school before and after, it's able to give its students a counseling service. Uh, The benefit of having counselors available is just strikingly clear, higher level of academic achievement, higher level of happiness, more sense of belonging. And yet the narrative, uh, apocryphal or not, seems to be that counselors can often be underutilized, both by the school, which kind of loads them up with managerial tasks that aren't working directly with students, Mm and with students who don't take the time to come and meet with their counselors and talk to them. How do you think about that narrative both holistically and at Princeton High School?
1: I do think that counselors do have a lot of different responsibilities that you know sometimes veer into um, administrative things you know that especially in the high school level a lot of um, managing clerical aspects and paperwork and kind of making sure that you guys are on track with the academic components. I do think that really the, the reason I went into this field and my favorite part of the job is getting to sit in the office with you guys one-on-one or in a group and have what's called what I call at least the like light bulb moment where I learn about you guys and the trends that you see through your you know your family structure or you know you talk about experiences you've had in childhood and we're able to make those connections um, to how that affects your behavior how it affects your um, your mental health, in the current state of being a student and then kind of reading that back to you or relaying that back to you as I listen and then having you go, oh yeah, okay, I see that connection. Finding that balance is sometimes difficult with the other responsibilities that are on our plate, but I do think that, at least in the scope of our counseling department here at Princeton High School, we do a really good job of trying to balance that mental health, social-emotional support and the other responsibilities that we do have, um, because we really are, like, at least for our department, it's it's kind of like you have to be a jack-of-all-trades.
0: And there is a pretty robust counseling service offered at PHS and a lot of great counselors here, but nationwide, and this data point might be a little outdated, I think it's from 2016, but the student-to-counselor ratio is 491 to 1. Mm. Why do you think it's so low?
1: You know, I that's a really good question. I'm actually not sure why it's so low i know that different districts have different prioritization of how they allocate resources and what they find to be you know necessary for students but i think and i'm hopeful that nationwide there's going to be more of a push towards increasing the amount of counselors we have in different buildings because we're starting to identify as you mentioned statistically we're seeing a need post covid or post um in the midst of the pandemic, for students to really work on their mental health and have supports for their mental health. So I'm hopeful that that ratio or that statistic is is gonna change. I recently looked at the Bureau of Labor Statistics for school counseling and the growth of the field. Hmm. It does have a pretty high growth rate right now. So hopefully that's in response or starting to be in response to that need that we're identifying.
0: Ideally, if someone wanted to go into the counseling field what, what do you think are the downsides to being a counselor?
1: You know, it really, really depends on what you as an individual prefer to do with your day and how you like to allocate your time. Some people really like the organizational aspects and helping you guys with letters of recommendation and transcripts and, and the managerial aspects. Some people really like the counseling piece, the actual dealing with the social emotional supports. Um, Some people like all of those things. Like, I tend to find myself kind of having a good balance of that, but my favorite part, like I said, is the social-emotional. One, if we're going to call it downside, I think one downside is coming to the understanding. It's important to come to this understanding that even though you are there to support your students, you want to give them the tools that they need to be successful, you want to use your tools to be able to help them um, to to be their best selves. Sometimes there are going to be circumstances or situations beyond your control, beyond their control, beyond their family's control that really do make that difficult, that really sometimes you can do everything and they can do everything for themselves. And there might be a moment where they still continue to struggle. And sometimes, because we value the helping profession, we value being able to support our students, we will take that on ourselves it's it's important not to, you know, take all of that on and to blame ourselves for when things don't go exactly as we hoped for a student and just to kind of understand that the best thing we can do is to be there for them. But I think that's part of, probably one of the hardest things that I had to learn to cope with early into the profession, like at least the first second year, is that even though you wanna give them everything, there will be times in their lives where they'll struggle and they, they have to kind of figure their way out of that and we can help them through that. But we can't fix everything for them
0: you know yeah i suppose another thing that seems a little tricky about being a counselor to me is some of the ethical dilemmas that accompany it i'm wondering what your thoughts are about the balance between patient confidentiality and parental rights to know what their kids are thinking and feeling
1: well that's a another really good one i think that you're right that that's a difficult balance to strike it's different than outpatient for example um and especially when you're working with an, a minor population or an adolescent population, you do have to communicate with the families. I like to try to check in with my students about how they would feel about certain information being shared in the interest or benefit of their, their support. So when they tell me something that I feel like is impacting their performance in school, I ask them, I check in with them and I ask them, so would you be okay with me sharing this information with your teachers? and I usually like to have their their say-so on that before I proceed with certain communications. As far as the families, the same thing applies. I let them know as far as my confidentiality goes, what happens in this office, what you tell me in this office stays in this office, with certain limitations. So for example, if you indicate to me that you are at risk of harming yourself or someone else, then I have to report to um, the appropriate parties, including family. Um, But there are some times where there's something in the middle.
0: Shifting gear just a little, something I came across all the time when I was reading things in preparation for the questions I'm asking you right now is the opinion that high school counselors are here predominantly to help students to get to college. Mm. And again, at PHS, where almost 85% of students do go to a four-year college, it seems like that would be an important job, not just in convincing kids to go to college, but helping them sort out that process. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the balance between helping kids get into college and the more social emotional duties that you fulfill here. Where should that balance be and where is it right now?
1: I definitely think within the structure of Princeton High School, um, like you mentioned, there's very much a high drive or high population of students who are college-bound. Um, so in that respect, my practice might be different than a school that has different statistics on that. But I always let students know um, you know, college may not be for everyone. I am very pro-education, so if that is your goal, I'm gonna to try to help you get there and give you the tools to help you get there. But I have students who might wanna do employment after school or go straight into the military or you know, they might go into a vocation through our like, MCTS program that we work with. I try to let them know, and I try to like change my phrasing around these questions instead of kind of asking, so what are you thinking about as far as going to college? I kind of say, well, what, you, what would you like to do after high school? so that students don't feel like pressured into one vein or another. I do think it's a big part of our responsibility as high school counselors to help you, if that is your goal, to get to that point. But I also don't want other students who maybe don't feel like that is their goal to feel pressured into a certain goal or to feel like they might be um, forgotten in that that area of things. So I I always want to make sure that I ask, you know, what would you like to do? And then how can I help you get there?
0: What do you think the attitude is surrounding the college application process broadly at PHS? Is it a constructive one or do you think it can be a little toxic at times?
1: Do you mean from the student perspective? From the the, student perspective. I would say from the student perspective, there's a great deal of, of course, anxiety around the college application process from what I see. A lot of my conversations, even, you know, we meet with our um, rising ninth graders at the different middle schools for course selection. We just finished that now. Um, And even in that setting, I will have students who will ask questions as 8th graders about how many APs should I take in my 10th grade year, 11th grade year, 12th grade year to get to a certain college that I want to get to. And I try my best to balance their their goal setting with dialing some of that back to make sure that they are understanding that they have some time, (laughs) they have resources and supports for them to get them to that place, but also it's okay to be a kid it's okay to kind of stop and smell the roses on things. Students have told me that there is a good amount of like social pressure that feeds into itself. So students will talk about their different acceptances to different schools. Um, they'll talk about all the extracurriculars they've done, which are really phenomenal. But then for a student that might fall in the middle, it makes them feel a bit inadequate sometimes. So I think that navigating that within the confines of my office um, has been a priority in letting students know that. Everything you do towards reaching your goals post-secondary school are valid. All those things that you do are valid, all those things you do are valuable. If you go help your neighbor neighbor mow the lawn, that's valuable. And not everybody has to be the president of everything. And I think kind of dealing with people's expectations versus what other people expect of them and kind of helping them navigate the middle ground, I think is really important. I think it's really admirable that we have such a student population that is very goal-oriented and wants to do great things in the world. But there's different pathways to get there, so I try to like help with that culture a little bit.
0: So correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but you write a recommendation letter for all of your students who want to go to post-secondary education, yeah? Yep. How do you think that affects the interactions people have with you mm-hmm. if they know you're the one writing that letter? And do you think the system where the high school counselor writes a letter of recommendation for their students is one we should have?
1: You know, I've never actually thought about whether or not we should have that. That's a really good question. I think I might have to think about it a bit more. Um, I like the ability to write letters of recommendation for my students and to contribute not just, again, from the administrative end of their college applications, but actually contribute something personal uh, to their application process just because sometimes through that, I actually learn a lot more about my students. I learn about what they're involved in. I learn about you know, their journey, their life story a bit more than they even do when they talk to me. So I actually really do appreciate being part of that process. But I can understand how that might influence certain interactions that we might have. I think that you guys in general as students are very open and honest within this space. But I do also know that that's, that's something that's in the back of the mind, right? So I don't know necessarily how much it impacts the student-counselor relationship. I think that you also have you know teachers write letters of recommendation too and you guys have really strong relationships with teachers sometimes you might make mistakes you guys work through them i think that um i have to think a little bit more about whether or not that's a good or bad thing for counselors but at least from my end i kind of at least like learning about you guys writing that process
0: let's shift gears a little. Let's talk about the way you approach counseling, you approach helping your students. First of all, something fascinating, I think, is combining poetry and counseling. Tell me about how you do that in your work.
1: Sure. So a little bit of background. I've loved poetry since I was a little girl, and it definitely increased after, I think, when I was in like seventh or eighth grade. There was like a town-wide competition that I think a library was running where they wanted students to write a poem about the environment and how do we save the environment. And I wrote one and I believe it won, like I won first place in that competition. And I think being recognized for the skill that I kind of was just doing for fun, allowed me to go, oh, well, actually, maybe I should explore this more and, and kind of try different ways of writing poetry. And I, I became really passionate about it because I thought, okay, I wrote something meaningful and it made a difference in the town. So I wrote a lot through middle school. I wrote a lot through high school. I even wrote a good amount through college. And in college, I tried to balance my my education. I majored in psychology, but I did um, also take a lot of courses in philosophy and literature. And one course I, I took on poetry kind of changed my perspective on it because I was used to be very, I wouldn't say rigid, but a little bit more structured with it and rule-oriented about, you know, it has to rhyme, it has to have meter. But I learned so many different forms of poetry, about free verse, about different meter forms and structures, that it taught me that every form of written expression is valid. And I wanted to try to bring that experience to my counseling because it's one of my, one of my biggest loves, my biggest passions. And I wanted to figure out, well, how can I integrate that, partly selfishly, for myself to be able to continue to do artistic expression, but through the, uh, the other work that I love, which is counseling. So I came up with uh, Write It Down, which is my uh, poetry group, where students have different topics or themes that they work through each week, and they write a poem uh, with respect to that theme, and we, we share them. Obviously, it's in a confidential environment, so whatever they share that's personal, it stays there. But I, I think it's, it's been a really good exercise for me, but it's also been a really good exercise for my students because I've gotten to know them so much through their work. I've gotten to know so much about them that I wouldn't know if I hadn't seen their writing and this is also it also applies to students that aren't on my caseload because I open it up to the whole student body. I learned so much about you guys through through writing that maybe you wouldn't be as vulnerable uh, with verbally.
0: What do you want those poems to look like? What do they look like?
1: Um, They vary. So I've had students tell me like in trying to get students involved and kind of trying to sell the group and explain what it does or what it is. I've had students come and tell me, I'm really more of like a short story writer or I'm mainly interested in rap. And I'm like, all of that to me, is po- it's valid poetry. It can be written in such a way that it is valid poetry. So I've had students who write like short little excerpts and they read it aloud. Or I have students who write songs. I've had students who write their own little raps and it's basically, to me, all poetry. So it really can vary. Mm
0: -hmm. What can someone's artistic process tell you about them as a person?
1: It tells me a lot about how you structure and how you plan things. So I can see sometimes in students' writing process how they might also address or attempt classwork, how they might attempt or address essays, how they might attempt or address conversations. Because sometimes I'll get questions about certain prompts, and I'll, you know, it'll be very specific to like, what are the rules. So sometimes from that, I understand that that student is more of like a rule-oriented person. They need things a bit more outlined for them, whereas I'm looking for you to just express yourself. I have students who use those prompts or use those ideas as a framework to go somewhere else, and I don't try to reel that back in. I find that it dampens that expression, so I do think that based on where they go sometimes from the different prompts, if they stay very structured to it, if they stay, they use it kind of as a template to go then be very far beyond. It kind of teaches me a lot about their thought process.
0: Does bad poetry exist?
1: <laughs> That's a good question. Um, again, this is part of, partly through like the courses I took in college about how all different forms of writing are valid. Um, I kind of take the perspective of if it's meaningful to you, And if it's good to you, then it's good to you. Um, I don't try, and and in my group as well, I don't, I make it very clear that we are not here to criticize the structure of people's poetry or the themes of people's poetry. We talk about what is being expressed and how that might relate to you. So I don't really like get too critical about what's good or bad. I kind of go into what I like or what resonates with me, uh, either aesthetically or personally, or what doesn't.
0: So, alongside writing, uh, there's also a lot of work being done about reading uh, and counseling, which is sometimes known as bibliotherapy, and I went down a complete rabbit hole uh, looking this up last night because I thought it was fascinating, uh, and I came across a study entitled, quote, Bibliotherapy is a Hope-Building Tool in Educational Settings. How can reading and writing build hope?
1: This kind of reminds me of a prompt that I use in my sessions. I don't know that we've gotten to this one yet this year, but in the past um, we've done it pretty frequently, where I ask students to write a poem to their future self about, you know, what they're going through right now to give a hopeful message, or write as if they were their future self, like where they would want to be, to their past self to figure out, like, what, what's some advice that I could give myself about what I'm going through right now? And I think that Utilizing writing to really write out what experiences you've had, be it positive or negative, can really give you good perspective on, well, where do I go from here? What did I learn from that experience? Sometimes, like, I could have a whole conversation with somebody that frustrates me or, you know, gets a certain emotion out of me. It's not until I write down my feelings that I truly understand them sometimes. It's kind of a good tool to process things. It helps people address conversations differently. You know, sometimes I've told students, you know, before maybe you have that conversation or that argument with a friend about something that upset you, maybe you write those feelings down first. Then you can reprocess um, what you've thought about and kind of take a different perspective on it. But I do think that kind of looking back at the work that I've done and the poems I wrote as a kid and then where I've gone since then, Sometimes it was very angsty. Sometimes it was very angry. And looking back at it and going, wow, look at the things that I've been able to do now and and where I am and how happy I am in my life right now. I'm able to kind of track that journey. So I'm hopeful that other students who enjoy poetry or reading are able to use those tools to kind of track their own journeys.
0: Yeah, maybe this converges towards a bigger question as well, which is what is the power of expression?
1: It has so many different powers. I was a very shy kid, um, like I said, very introverted, and I think it allowed me to voice things that I wouldn't typically voice out loud, and sometimes I might never then materialize that to voicing it out loud with the person that I needed to voice it to, but having it on paper um, allowed me to to get some catharsis, to feel better about what that situation was, regardless of wherever it went. It could have just stayed with me, but it still made me feel better. I think there's power in that. I think it makes voice. People who feel typically voiceless not feel as voiceless anymore. But I remember learning in school that Emily Dickinson wrote a lot of poetry that she did not want to get out. And that posthumously it was released even though she never wanted it published. And I think that Even if she hadn't published it, it would still be meaningful in giving her a voice. Mm -hmm. Because she goes back and reads it and kind of figures out, well, that's how I would handle that situation. That's what I was feeling in that moment. So I think the biggest power it has is is giving people a voice.
0: I think that's a really, really nice idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to finish things off here, if you could have a student at PHS in this room right now and you didn't know who they were other than that they went to this high school what do they need to hear? What are you saying to them?
1: Ah, okay. So is it like a new student? Is it just...
0: It's someone, it's someone who's listening to this right now.
1: Well, one, number one, I'm going to give us all a plug departmentally. Um, see your counselor. <laughs> Even if it's to share good news, we're here to listen to your, you know, your struggles, your challenges, but we're also here to support you and cheer you on through your, your positives. So stop by and say hi. We're, and if we ever get you from a class, if we ever play you down... Usually you're not in trouble, <laughs> especially for our, our incoming like ninth graders. It's good for them to understand like the role of a counselor. But just whoever your counselor is, whatever you need, just please know that we're here for you. And we want to listen and we want to support and we want to help you to figure out the best solutions for what you need in life and in school. So I guess just a big plug for us and, and hopefully that you guys take advantage of that relationship as much as you can.
0: Sounds great. Thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. PHS Talks is a part of the multimedia section of The Tower, Princeton High School's student run newspaper. It is written, produced, and edited by me, Alexander Margulis, with music by Otto Truman. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.